This episode of Policing Matters is brought to you by Lexipol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support, and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit Lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. Welcome back. You are listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Well, welcome back. And if you're not checking us out on YouTube yet, give it a look and you'll see our guest and you may see some graphics and links as well. Well, regardless of the topic or issue in law enforcement today, whether it's in the organization, mission, hiring, retention, safety, well-being, it all comes down to leadership, doesn't it? I'm just not just talking about leadership by rank. I mean individual leadership as well, leading by example, training to be a leader when first on the scene, a leader when the rest of the team starts to sour. Today's guest has written about leadership, and he certainly lives it. Andrew A. DeMuth Jr. is the lead presenter for LeadingBlue.com, a company that provides leadership training nationwide to law enforcement and private sector audiences alike. Andrew currently serves with the New Jersey Attorney General's Office, managing CODIS, the statewide DNA collection program with more than 500 law enforcement agencies. Before that, he was with a municipal police department for 25 years. 17 of those years were in leadership roles, managing patrol squads, and later in the investigations division. Well, welcome to Policing Matters, Andrew A. DeMuth, Jr. Thanks so much, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you know, I've read your background and some of the things that you've worked on. And leadership, you know, gets thrown around, but it's really important, isn't it? I mean, especially in law enforcement, when there's a level of restraint in responding to criticism and sanctions like we've seen over the past few years. Absolutely. Uh, once again, thank you so much for having me. Um, I now have about 32 years in law enforcement. And with each day, it becomes clear and clear that the success or failure of every unit, division, or organization is entirely dependent upon the leadership. Um, leadership really is everything to the organization. It is the organization. It's the bridge from which the ship is steered. But great leadership is needed on more than just the bridge. It's needed at every level of the organization. And that truly is what makes exceptional organizations. And sometimes we see or agencies that get caught up with just focusing on the higher levels. But as we could see with some of the high profile law enforcement failures uh, over recent years, we need strong leadership at every level. Yeah, I mean, I was just on a webinar recently with a bunch of uh, experts in recruitment and retention. And it, it really all did funnel back to leadership. Uh, some agencies are not in crisis in recruiting, and a lot of the officers who work for them attribute it to leadership, that they will have their back, that they will be the lead in the organization to uh, government officials and criticism and the like. But it, uh, the age-old question's always been asked, and and I've seen it uh, in leadership books, you know, command colleges and uh, PERF and IACP and the like. And they ask that question or they try to tell us the answer. Are we born or are we taught? Which is it in becoming a leader? You know, there's a great YouTube video 
And they ask about two dozen CEOs of Fortune 500 uh, that exact question. And the answers are all over the map. And I, I put the same question when we're doing our classes. And it's the same thing. The answers are all over the map. And honestly, the answer doesn't really matter as long as we accept and embrace that through quality training, through experience, we can improve our leadership performance. There's a, a great book called Good to Great by uh, Jim Collins. And in the book, he and a team of researchers set out to identify the, the best companies of all time. And they spent the first six months just creating the criteria, what we, what exactly we are going to look at. And they looked at growth and age of the company and sales and, and earnings. And uh, they came out with 11 companies. And Walgreens was one of them, Philip, Philip Morris, uh, uh, and then nine other companies. And then after they identified the companies, they looked at the leadership, the CEOs, and they made some interesting discoveries. And one of them was many of the CEOs were introverts. And they weren't people that you would, you know, just naturally associate with leadership roles, but uh, they were extremely successful leaders. And it, I think it really backs up the point. It's it's through, you know, working for great leaders and having that great experience and having that great example and getting uh, quality leadership training. And it's more available out there than ever before with the books and the videos and the articles. Uh, that has to be a part of it. It's so important that that's a part of it. Um, but it is, um, you know, it's it's definitely something. And for me, I would say it's mostly developed. That leadership is mostly developed. And you do meet people who have certain skills that are, you know, great leadership skills that are certainly helpful. But uh, the best leaders I've ever worked for were developed. Yeah, it's interesting that you you talk about uh, leaders being introverts. That that some leaders are introverts. And and I've discussed this with uh, Jason Potts, the director of public safety in in Las Vegas. And we talked about, you know, working for like leaders that are introverts and they have a sole focus on the mission. Uh, sometimes they deal on a business level with other government leaders, uh, the mayor or city council and things like that. But then when it comes to dealing with subordinates or, or staff at the agency, it, there's sometimes a feeling of disconnect that they are so focused on the mission that they don't really cultivate those people skills. And I think it's a fine line. I mean, the best leaders I ever uh, had in my organization that, that I felt uh, that I looked up to were those who uh, had the gift of gab. You've, you felt that personal uh, connection. Uh, sometimes they didn't have to order you to do something. They just sort of talked you into it or, or 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 told you about the importance of the mission and then you went off and did it but we have those leaderships and they're really successful the introverts who whose sole focus is on the mission and and using maybe that business model in in creating a, an environment that works at least on paper in their organization so you think yeah yeah you definitely have to have that level of interpersonal connection and if you think of any person you've ever worked for, you know, maybe the top person you've ever worked for, they knew who you are. They knew about you. They cared about you. They spent, it wasn't always just the mission. They talked about things outside the mission. And you certainly, you know, and, and law enforcement is really broken down into different teams at different levels. Certainly a sergeant has uh, his team. The chief has her team, the captains. And, and there's, there's different teams throughout. You certainly need to know the people in your 
your direct reports, your exact team. And at the, the higher levels, the, the more people you know and the more you, you know going down certainly and it enhances your leadership. But it's it's absolutely a critical piece of, of leadership is that that interpersonal connection and, and having it more about the mission. I, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, and breaking it down by rank, uh, when we talk leadership, it's not just about the chief or the director or the sheriff, right. but it, it is everyone throughout the organization. Maybe it's the senior officer or the first officer on scene. They've got to be able to assume those leadership roles. Yes, I agree. And I think this is something that we sometimes get wrong. Law enforcement, by default, is an industry of leaders. Um, you You look at line officers on scenes every day they make decisions by themselves without a supervisor behind their back sometimes important decisions uh, use of force situations deadly force situations most of the time those are being made without getting permission think about off duty we give our people i, I mean the power that law enforcement has in this country in most states i, I gather you could be two weeks into a four-week vacation on the opposite side of your state. You could come across something. You could activate yourself, essentially punch in, go on on duty, take control of the situation, order people around, and make arrests. And if we are going to give our people that, we have to recognize that they need those leadership skills. They need that confidence to be able to handle those situations. And whether it's that off-duty situation or that situation where there's not a supervisor around. And that really has to be a priority of at every level of management is to make sure to really bring our people up to a level where they can handle the different situations that they might face. Yeah. So, so going back to that question of, are we natural leaders or do we learn it? How important is training? Uh, certainly we can be someone who has always done the right thing internally, right, as, as our own self, but especially law enforcement officers demand that their leaders be competent as well, right? I mean, it's hard to follow somebody that, you know, you roll your eyes every time they, they show up on a scene. Certainly. And we've all been in that situation where we've had that supervisor who blows up the situation when they, when they get there, uh, which is always a lot of fun. Um, Credibility really is everything in law enforcement, and it comes from uh, job knowledge and it comes from competency. And if you don't have both of those, you're not going to have credibility. And I don't think you're going to be very successful in this profession. Several years ago, I spoke at the Alita conference and I had to put together a, a presentation on law enforcement training. And one of the things I did was I researched the amount of training hours required uh, by different states throughout the country. And the numbers were 18 hours, 30 hours, 24 hours. It varied by state. And right around that time, there was an article about Chicago PD celebrating Chicago PD. They were going to do something that had never been done before. They were raising it to 40 hours a year. Think about that. 40 hours of training a year comes out to about three hours a month for this job, for this insane job where you can do an eight-hour class on Miranda alone. Um, so as, as part of that presentation, I put together what I thought should be the model of where we would be with training. And I came out with 200 annual hours, which comes out to about two days a month. So I, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. I, I mean, when you think about what we could potentially train, it's those days are eaten up pretty quickly. You could have day one of simulations. Day two, the first half could be a first aid refresher. The second half could be 
uh, arrest, search, and seizure refresher. Next month, uh, day one could be ground fighting, uh, a review. Day two can be scenario training and de-escalation. It's just limitless. With And I haven't even touched firearms yet. Uh, right around the George Floyd incident, when that happened, uh, Joe Rogan had a guest on the show, Jocko Willink, uh, retired Navy SEAL. And they actually talked about the same exact issue. And, and Jocko put the annual training hours for law enforcement at 400 hours. He actually doubled what I said. And basically, uh, four days a month, we should be involved in some type of training. So when you get back to this 30 hours, 40 hours, it is inexcusable that we're having this few uh, amount of hours of training. But the second piece to this, too, is we don't want to get too caught up on hours. Uh, you can sit in front of a, you know, watching outdated videos from the 80s. That's not really training. You could be doing some of the computer-based training we're doing right now, which is good for certain things, but it's not good for, you know, we need to be out there practicing de-escalation, practicing handling scenarios, managing situations. So we don't want to get completely caught up in the hours. We have to make sure it's good quality training as well. Yeah, absolutely. That And that is the struggle uh, at every agency. How do you fit, you know, five pounds of training in a two pound sack? And I think creative trainers can figure it out. And now we have technology, we have VR headsets. And I mean, like you say, there, there's some training that you've got to do physical training, uh, uh, defensive tactics and things like that. But I think there there is room for, for VR training. And in, um, I was on a committee for our uh, statewide SWAT teams, and some of the smaller agencies talked about how they really didn't have the capacity to dedicate, you know, 20 hours a month or 20 hours uh, bi-monthly. And so, you know, it, was, it wasn't a trade-off that we were willing to make that you can't just put elbow and knee pads on, grab a rifle and say you're a SWAT team leader. And, and you, could you could talk about the liability that goes along with, with doing that. So uh, an agency's really got to cross that line and say, okay, we, we're going we're gonna to commit to this and we need to dedicate those training hours. I, I definitely agree. And, that, and, you know, you bring up a great point, the challenge of the smaller agencies, the challenges they face. And I, I know in some places they create consortiums where maybe four or five agencies team up to have a, a training program so they can do something better. They have more resources that way. Also, when you start combining, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand dollar budget for equipment each year with five agencies, you could start getting some pretty good equipment, you know, as, as the years accumulate. Uh, we also, I mean, I mean, we also have to get more creative with scheduling because there are problems where, and, and I've seen this at my old department, there might be a training at the regional police academy that's $89 or $120 from a commercial training provider. But to pull that officer off the shift that's going to be at below minimum manpower, now they have to put someone in on overtime, which is now going to cost $600 for the overtime. So now that course is a $700 one-day course. You know, Smaller jurisdictions just can't do that. So, you know, we have to get more creative with our scheduling or have filler people that aren't going to create overtime. Maybe even a scheduling where we can have two training days per month. You know, there's got to be some give and take on both sides because everybody benefits from that. And sometimes, you know, the administrations don't want to deal with it or the unions are being too stubborn. 
you know, there has to be some compromise because we need, it's in everybody's interest that we have uh, high quality training. For sure. Hey, I'd like to ask you some more about uh, the challenges when you become a new supervisor. But first, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire and rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. And we're back, and I'm speaking with Andrew DeMuth Jr. on leadership. And Andrew, sergeants may be the backbone of an agency. Do we have enough to prepare for the transition between be- an officer becoming a sergeant supervisor? It's really agency driven, but for the most part, no. Now, in my agency, and I was promoted to sergeant back in the 90s, you were told, okay, it's it's October, uh, you're going to be sworn in, in on November 20th. Show up at the uh, council meeting, the city hall, whatever, the, the auditorium, and you're going to be sworn in, bring a shirt with sergeant stripes and family members. And after that, you took over your squad and you were told, okay, we'll get you to the first training that we can. Think about what this job entails. Our our supervisors, our road supervisors, manage teams of heavily armed men and women going into confrontational situations. And we have many agencies that are providing zero or very little training for people in that role. How did this get to be okay? And, and we know, you know, again, going back to the smaller agency, we don't have the resources to bring people in for a two-week training program. And, and this is where we need true visionaries that are just going to say, that's not acceptable. We need to do more. The private sector is big on leadership development programs, and they do it over time, and they're slowly preparing their people. Uh, and we just tra- I just trained in Pennsylvania, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the capital. They have a program where new sergeants must ride 90 days with a current supervisor, uh, which I think is fantastic. But there's, there's you know, the, so much more we can do uh, from tabletop training. You know, and when you get that new supervisor and you put them down and you say, oh, and you have three other sergeants around a table and say, okay, a three-year-old just went missing, go. You know, that changes it from, okay, where am I going to hold my promotional party to? I better take this job seriously. There's a lot involved here. And we want to get that feeling into our new supervisors. I'd rather see new supervisors who are nervous than cocky, who are a little bit intimidated than overconfident. Uh, So a, a lot has to be invested into them. And really from the top down, when you have an orientation for new supervisors and the person who comes out to do it is the lowest staffer from the HR department, it sends an entirely different message than if that orientation begins in the chief's office and you're brought in and a smiling chief comes out from behind the desk and she extends your hand. Welcome. We're so glad to have you on board with us. That really just sends a powerful message about you're part of a team now and we're we're doing something together. We're building something special. And when you have captains who are involved in, and, you know, the, the whole rank structure 
it sends a much different message to our new people. So we have to do a lot more. There has to be a leadership development program, something uh, that is in writing or we're documenting. Think about FTOs. You go to a brand new officer goes to an alarm call. We have intricate checkboxes for go to the alarm call. Everything's secure. What do you do? Go to the alarm call. The door's unlocked, but everything looks okay. Go to the alarm call. The door glass is broken. We think someone's inside. We go scenario by scenario of every conceivable thing of what to do. And we do nothing for supervisors. We expect them to wing it. So we have to be doing a lot more. And that's that's one of the things that we push a lot in our program. Yeah. And you, and you make a great point. I think sometimes, in a, especially in a larger organization, you know, it's if if uh, all we have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So yeah, we sure. do training like we always do, right? The same trainers uh, teach all levels, and they they now they're teaching uh, leadership and and supervisory roles, and I think that's when we make the exception and bring people in at least at the beginning that are there who can inspire, who can motivate, who are role models that we already trust as great leaders right. to, to let these people know it is important. You've got to make this transition. Right. And, and we also want to involve the person being promoted. Um, so maybe if we had a five-part uh, onboarding program, and, and really get away from come get your stripes and let's call it an onboarding program. And the, the fifth part of it, they design themselves. Uh, and it's a matter of whether it's you need uh, refresher training on attorney general guidelines, rules and regulations. Like you, it's important to get their input, their input of what kind of training they need to, to help prepare them for their position. Because everybody will have certain areas where they feel pretty good and uh, certain areas where they, they know they, they need some work. So, yeah, so much more has to be has to be done with that. And again, if we're looking at our line people as leaders as well, you know, there's no reason we cannot begin a leadership development program there. Uh, we, uh, one of the county sheriff's departments we trained at last year, they require in order to be eligible for promotion, you have to have taken one eight hour leadership class, a supervisor class anywhere by any company, it didn't matter where any academy. Um, so that's good. We want them going and getting involved in, in these programs. And, and the other piece, too, is when you bring your line people in or maybe your senior people from each squad or platoon and you give them additional training, I really believe it gives them more buy in to what's going on in the organization and, and more ownership. And we want our people to have ownership. So if you're at a call and God forbid somebody's doing something that's not appropriate that you understand, I, I have to jump in here. I've, I've got to. Uh, you know, to take action here. We want everyone to own that. And that should not be defined just by how many hash marks they have on their sleeve. Ownership should be defined by the fact you work for that agency, you're an ambassador of that agency and, and you own you, you a piece of every call that you go to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd love to hear from our listeners uh, how many of their agencies have a, an FTO program, if you will, for sergeants, yeah. supervisory officers. And if we have a career advancement plan, we're doing that already. You talked about a sergeant's requirement to, to ride along with their subordinate officers. Hopefully that's being done. There's mentorship and uh, we have leaders leading by example. And so that transition goes a lot smoother. On the other end of the spectrum, now we have upper level leadership, uh, captains and above, command level 
all the way to chief. And I don't think we do enough training for them. And I and I found myself in roles that I never was prepared for, roles in administration, roles in budgeting, roles in going before a city council and explaining uh, the, the intricacies of the organization and why we need something. Uh, do you do command staff training and what are we doing nationwide? Are we doing enough? A lot of that is agency and chief driven. When you get to those levels, nobody's scheduling you for schools anymore. So it's up to you to make sure that you're scheduling yourself. And, you know, I, I start with this premise. Law enforcement is the noblest profession on the planet. And I, you know, I've, I've looked in law enforcement from the outside twice in my life before I was in it. And then after I left and I still work for in law enforcement, but I'm not sworn law enforcement. It, I have a brand new appreciation, you know, looking at what everything that goes on now and what they go through. It is the noblest job on this planet. And those who do it deserve nothing less than the most spectacular leadership possible. And we have to remind ourselves of that because it's easy to lose sight of that. And it's easy to get burned out and just to take every day like what, you know, yesterday and just hold down the fort. We have enough people holding down the fort. We need visionary leaders who are coming in. And when something's not going on, they're being proactive about making it a better environment to work in and, and making it a better culture to work in and, and uh, the equipment and everything else that, that goes along with it. So, and we talked about this before, about at all levels, leaders making sure that their people could do their job, the, the leader's job. So that captain, that chief should be bringing those deputy chiefs and even captains to that council meeting and let them see what's going on and maybe even let them participate uh, once in a while. If we're doing a, um, you know, one of the, the best met, uh, opportunities for training, I call it REFT, R-E-F-T, Real Events for Training, is if we have that festival or that concert going in our town, set up incident command, invite the fire department. Don't put the, the chief or the deputy chief and the commander, put a sergeant, put a captain, a lieutenant. You know, often the first time someone sits in the commander's chair for incident command is when something happens. And even if nothing happens during that incident, which it probably won't, at least we're getting these agencies working together. It's invaluable experience. So you know, we should be looking at every opportunity to build our people and all the way down to sergeant, where if it's a, you have that four car crash and it's a night where we happen to have a lot of bodies to bring that four year officer over and say, listen, you're, this is your call. Go. Well, Sarge, they're not going to listen. You tell me and I'll put out the orders, but this is yours. Go. All right. We need three wreckers. We need two. We have possible smoke or, you know, from the airbag, we're not sure, we'll, let's get a fire truck, whatever needs to be ordered. And at, all the way down to bringing in people from the next shift or having the next town cover intersections and get them to the point where they're developing and building their confidence. When a, when a, a sergeant is doing a shift briefing, well, I mean, he or she could do it with their eyes closed, have the second in command start doing it, have it rotated, have everybody once a month, they have to come in and do a 10 minute presentation on something a training presentation, which benefits everybody and them for, for the public speaking and for everything that goes along with having to put together a presentation. When we accomplish that and uh, we we start building a, a leadership culture and, and really that has to be the, the ultimate goal. 
my son was in um, is in the Marine Corps. And several years ago, he called. He was in Camp Lejeune at the time down in North Carolina. And he told me he had his uh, annual physical fitness test that day. And I said, how'd you do? And he said, I uh, did pretty well. He said, I said, almost beat my almost beat my sergeant. I said, your sergeant's faster than you? So yeah, my sergeant, he's very fast. He's uh, he's, But he's not as fast as the lieutenant. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> that goes against everything I've ever seen in law enforcement. With each rank, you're allowed five more pounds, 5% less job knowledge. Um, but the attitude was, with each promotion, I have an obligation to get better, stronger, faster, smarter. And my God, if we sold that to our people and we put that on our people, that that's your obligations. Stop with just show up there uh, to get sworn in. Give them ownership. There are two times our people are most moldable. Number one, when they first come into the job. And number two, from that, fir that first promotion from line officer to sergeant. They want to be liked. They want to be respected. They want to do well. Um, so they're they're going to listen. They will listen. Sergeant to lieutenant, not so much. Lieutenant to captain, not so much. They're set in their ways. They they have confidence. But we we want to build that leadership culture. That has to be our goal. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love uh, you know your real time training. And I think we we sometimes build in um, cross training where. You just talked about giving the uh, leadership ability to uh, people below in rank at a scene when upper rank is there. But uh, sometimes we have people on career tracks in admin or training or something else that's not patrol or investigations. And it's so important to bring those people in and learn the patrol stuff, but also to take the patrol people to learn those other things too, because as you move up, you're not always going to be, or you shouldn't be that one track patrol guy, that one track investigations, man or woman in the organization. So, so important to cross train, to know other roles and to assume roles. And I want to wrap up, but, you know, we've had a couple of critical incidents in the country over the last year or so where we do have leaders in charge, but they are not as effective as they need to be. And we do have some uh, mechanisms built in in ICS, in Incident Command System training. And that is that regardless of rank, the most qualified in ICS becomes the incident commander. Right. And, and that's not always happening. And short of a mutiny, what can someone below the rank of the person in charge, whether they're the chief or the sheriff or the captain, how do we make that transition to, to show them support or even to say, hey, I, I have this, I let me assume command, um, you know, can, can I divert you over to the mayor's office or something like that? How do we make that transition? There's an old saying, lead down, manage up. And sometimes that can be difficult. And at the end of the day, we're responsible for our pyramid, right? Us and then the things under us. When we are setting, when we if, if we do create that great leadership culture with our team and the, and the people below us, that sometimes can be contagious. Uh, in, inviting higher level people along to some of the things that we're doing can certainly help get buy-in. Putting, you know, if, if we can't join their thing the, the way we would like to maybe create our own thing come up with something hey we're going to do an active shooter drill 
and where we're going to have more say in how it's done. You know, and, and I, I hear this at the classes sometimes. I say, you know, this is all great for sergeants and lieutenants, but what about deputy chiefs and chiefs? You know, you need to get them in here. Now, there's only so much control I have of that. But today's sergeant and sergeants and lieutenants are tomorrow's deputy chiefs and chiefs. So uh, we do need paradigm change uh, in 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 training and in, in leadership in law enforcement. The, the private sector, they, they, I forget the number of billions they spend a year in leadership development. I, I did a survey of one state for that presentation I was talking about. 15 police academies. Only three of them had a leadership class for an entire calendar year. Two of them, it was just one class. It shouldn't be uh, what leadership training are we going to have this year? It should be what leadership training are we going to have this month? Our training facilities and our agencies need to be leadership factories. And Jim, if we got everyone to embrace this, it would eliminate 50% of our problems and our headaches that, that, that occur from, from day to day. If we can get everyone to have that leadership mindset in our organization. And that's partly looking out for our people and helping developing and not just coming down, but finding out, okay, this one's not engaged or not performing. What's going on? How can I make it better? You know, and, and, and being and caring about our people. So um, sometimes we're limited in what we can do to the super higher ranks, but, you know, we can try to get creative with, with things that we can do to, um, you know, to maybe show them there is a different way. Sure. And something uh, to expand beyond the executive uh, summary, right? Uh, yeah, we know the leaders are really busy and we keep giving them these executive summaries, but sometimes the devil's in the detail and, yes. and they're missing out. So wrapping up, uh, I want to thank you for taking time today. What are you sure. working on? Uh, what What kind of training are you doing today? We're putting together our training for uh, 2024. We are going to be in um, most of the country uh, east of St. Louis, and we're slowly working our way out. We're actually going to be in South Dakota at the Chiefs Conference uh, in, in April. Uh, but that's where we're at right now. And our, our website's leadingblue.com if anyone's interested on in seeing you know the, our different offerings. Yeah, and you will see the leadingblue.com link in the show notes today. Uh, Andrew DeMuth Jr. Hey, thanks your son for his service and thank oh, you for taking time today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here. All right. To our listeners, uh, I hope you enjoyed today's show. Check out uh, Andrew DeMuth and his uh, Leading Leaders website. Uh, you could read his full bio uh, underneath in the show notes as well. Hey, uh, let me know what you think. Uh, let me know who you want to hear from or hear about. Drop me an email at policingmatters at policeone.com. Hey, thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. Hope to talk to you again real soon. <laughs>